what's the word? Spilling that tea all on the curb. I'm not trying to be nosy, but I gotta know everything you heard. We gotta know what's going on. He did what? Now that was wrong. What's the latest trends of fashion? Tell me what's your favorite song. Who you reading? What you reading? What you watching? What's the season? Are there twists for the finale? Cause we gonna need a better reason. Who's improving the community? Bring the focus back to unity. Gotta do something more than plan. Listen up and take a stand. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Don't be mad. I'm just in my bag. bag, 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 bag. You gon' get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Why you mad? I'm just in my bag. bag, bag. Who are we? DHA. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Don't be mad. I'm just in my bag. bag, 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 bag. Get a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Why you mad? I'm just in my bag. Okay, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you're listening to this. This is your host, John Torrance, and this is In My Bag, Season 2, Episode 3. And I'm here with an award-winning journalist, which I'm so excited to um, have him on. Um, His name is Ernest Owens, and um, say hi, Ernest. (laughs) Hey, thank you for having me on. This is great. (laughs) I... Uh, saw Ernest on LinkedIn and it was a caption that uh, he became president of the Philadelphia National um, Black Journalists, Association of Black Journalists. Yes. And so I was like, oh my God, I have to hit follow. So I followed you and then um, I followed your Instagram and then I was like, oh, I have to have him on (laughs) because (laughs) I feel like we kind of have a lot of um, similarities um, because I'm black and gay and I'm from the Philadelphia area. So it kind of was like, oh, we need to like connect as soon as possible. Um, So those who don't know about Ernest, like I say, he's an award winning journalist. He is the editor at large for Philadelphia magazine and he's president of NABJ. Or PABJ. PABJ. So I um I'm president like I start my term um January actually. So January I'll be president officially. Oh, perfect. And this episode yeah. is gonna launch in January, so it's gonna be perfect. Yeah, I'll be <laughs> serving by then. Yeah, we days away, right? <laughs> exactly. So um like I said, we have a lot of stuff in common because my background is journalism. I majored oh. in um print journalism from Dell State. Oh, cool. Um, and then I got my master's in communications from Rosemont College right on the main line. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So I was like, we have a lot of similarities. So yeah, like perfect, perfect. Um, so again, I want to thank you for coming on um, as my guest host. Um, it's going to be fun. We have a lot to talk about and we're going to get into some things. So I'm so, so excited. Yeah, this is great. Um, so, as every guest comes on my um show, I want them to tell everyone their coming out story. Um, a lot. I've gotten a lot of different type of stories. Um, and everyone's story is different. You know, my story. I say this all the time. It kind of was like, 
easy because my mom was like, oh, I was just waiting for you to tell me. And who are you talking to? <laughs> so, um, but I want to know definitely about your coming out story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, I wrote about this a couple of years ago, the piece. It's called uh, Three Outs. Mm-hmm. And it's basically about, I always say I came out three times. The first time was to myself. Um, the second time was uh, two two people around me, friends, close folks that I knew. And then the third and final time was to my family. And, you know, it's interesting. Like, so ever since I was like really young, I always knew, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 29 now, I'll be 30 in October of, of 2021. But you know, when I when I was first coming out, I was the I was the oldest. I was the firstborn. Um, I was an overachiever. You know, I grew up in Chicago, um, and then my family moved to um, Houston, Texas, where I went to public school my entire life. Um, my high school was Amy Felsick High School, which had about five thousand kids. Oh wow! Um, a lot of people went there. Lizzo went to my high school at one point in time. Yeah. Beyonce went to my high school at one point in time. Houston? Um, yeah. And then, you know, I, you know, I went there, of course, and I was an overachiever in high school. I was a class president, valedictorian. Mm-hmm. My graduating class was a thousand kids. And I, I think for me, it wasn't that I was scared, like that I was going to get kicked out or anything like that. But I think I always did not want my mom and, and, and my parents to, to worry about me. You know, because I was right. the one right. who they didn't have to worry about. Like my brother and I are like night and day. I have three brothers. I have a brother that is ten months apart from me. Um, I have a seventeen-year-old brother and I have a ten-year-old brother. So I'm the oldest, and the the you know, and I was definitely that 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 you know overachiever. Right. And I think right. that for me, they were looking at me like you know, you're the you know, you're the you know, you're the one we don't have to worry about. So I felt like if I would have came out to my family, they would have spent more time worried about me, worried about what people would do to me and all that. But little did they know that in high school, I was out, you know, I was dating. I was pretty much, you know, out in high school, like in a way where they, they, you know, they, they may have known, but like it wasn't spoken, I guess, you know? Right, right, um, right. And so when I went to college, I went to Philadelphia. I went to the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I studied communication in undergrad. Um, just finished my master's in communication management at uh, USC, Annenberg. So I did communications in like both. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a journalism. They didn't have a journalism major at Penn, but I, I definitely would have done that. But I did a lot of internships and, and did all the media stuff. Then. Right, right. But when I was in college, I had the freedom. No one knew me on the East Coast. I could carve out my own identity. Mm-hmm. So I hit up the neighborhood. I was going to all the <laughs> clubs. I mean, I really was my into my element. And then once I turned twenty-one, it was my junior year. I got to a point where I was like, you know, at this point, I felt like. I'm grown, grown, and I am pretty much comfortable, and I'm aware of myself. I know how to protect myself and defend myself, and I just felt like it was the right time to come out because I think mm-hmm. I got to a point where I got to have resentment towards my family, but not in a way where they did anything to me. But I began to just, you know, you could be in your head, like you're not gonna be sitting in their bag, but you could right. be in your own head and your own way about, like. The stuff that you're insecure or not sh- or, or timid about coming out about, nope. you start to get that sense of distance where you think it's everyone's fault, but it's like no one knows why you're upset or why you're like distant or why you're just private. And I found myself like that to a certain extent. And I was like, well, no one ever said 
I couldn't be out. No one ever said it was a problem. Like it's my right. standoffishness because I'm too pretty, too much projecting my fears of what could be. And I just said, you know what, Christmas Eve of 2012, I came out and you know, pretty much it wasn't it was not that crazy thing. I mean, I think more so they had more questions about just like, you know, why did you feel comfortable telling us before? Mm-hmm. Or more so just wondering about me in general and just trying to figure out like I think what was the most difficult part was to know that other people already knew and they didn't know and that they didn't feel comfortable. Right. Like why why is that you know, everybody got to know this very excited, real, one hundred percent person in we got that person too, but we didn't get that person in their fullness. And right. so I felt, I think, I don't feel bad about what I did. I understand why I did it, but I always wonder what would have been, would have been different. But I trust my instinct. And I think it was more about my readiness uh, to do it. Cause when, when, you know, shout to teenagers who come out to their families, because I think too often they feel like some of the youth that I've mentored over the years, they feel like they have to prove something like at that point, like they have to prove this isn't mm-hmm. a phase. They have mm-hmm. to prove that this is mm-hmm. who they really are. And then they get monitored a certain way. And I got to say, I'm a little devious because I got to have boys for the night when I was in high school. And everybody was my friend, you know? So I kind of think that was part of it too. Like if, if I would have came out of high school, I wouldn't have been able to have all those, those guys right. for the night right. hang out. This is my friend. Right. <laughs> that is so funny. And you know what? Because I think I was still in high school when I came out to my mom. Wow. Um, I was, and I tell this, I'm like, I originally told her when I was nine. And then I told her again when I was 12. And then I Ooh. officially was like, okay, I'm gay at 17. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because it was like, you know, when I was nine, I was like, oh, mom, I think the boy in the Monica video is so cute. Um, is it Monica Pfeiffer? No, in the Monica video. Um, it oh. was, uh, I forgot what song it was. And oh, Tyree? Was it could have been. It could have been. She always had a chocolate guy. Because <laughs> Monica and Brandy was fighting over Makai. Right. Boy is mine. Right. And then Tyrese had, I think, Angel of Mine. I think Tyrese was Yes, an Angel of Mine. Mm-hmm. That was Tyrese. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, she was like, well, I think women are pretty, too. Like, trying to play it off. You know? And then it kind of was like... <laughs> <laughs> then, I think we all had our head this, I kissed a girl, and I liked it. Like, trying to be bisexual with our heads. And it was just like... Child. Right. Right. No. <laughs> no feeling at all. No feel- I have a shirt. It's funny because I have a shirt and it says, um uh, it says bypassing coochie since birth. Hashtag C section. <laughs> oh my god. And I wore it to New York Pride um a couple years ago. And when I tell you everybody was on my shirt they were like where did you get that from and it's mm-hmm. funny because my friend got it for me and he was like for some reason i just thought of you when i saw this shirt and i was like okay this is perfect <laughs> so That's was hilarious. your um so you were raised by your mom and your dad so I, my mom and my, and my biological father divorced and i had a stepdad okay and so they got married um when she arrived at houston so most of my life i had my stepdad um, they have since uh, broke up and now she has a boyfriend and she's been with for quite some time mm-hmm. and he's a great guy and um, I still am in contact with my stepfather. Mm-hmm. My father, my biological father, um, passed away a couple years ago, but um, Were you my stepdad and I, 
Uh, we, well, okay, so it's interesting. They did not have the best relationship. Um, we, we did not really much talk most of my life. Um, you know, he was my brother and my, um, I have to not use that term, but <laughs> a type of twin. My uh-huh. brother is an I, right? Uh-huh. From Ireland. <laughs> We're two apart. And so we, we, we came from, um, her first marriage and then my younger brothers and then came from her, my stepdad. And right. Her. Right. So when we got to Houston, um, you know, he was very much like, did like completely cut us off. Like he didn't want any communication. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a, they divorced and they got married very young. I think she got married at 18, had me at 20, had my brother at 21, divorced at 24. Like, oh, wow. it was just like, yeah, but she graduated from high school at like 16. I mean, she, oh. she grew up feeling, I mean, she just really was like an overachiever too. And then, mm-hmm. um, she broke up with, you know, when she they divorced, she, um, you know, I got, she got with my stepfather and, that was who raised us my mom and my stepdad so i always had a a father figure in the house and um and he was perfectly fine when you came out and said what you said well i came out at 21 so right you were grown i was grown and and it was her mom and actually her by then they had you know separated but her boyfriend who she's still with to this day Mm -hmm. he actually it's funny she's turning 50 in january and he just turned 40 in december her boyfriend is, but she doesn't look her age at all. It's, it's right. ridiculous. Well, it's you ridiculous. know, 50 is the new. I know, but when you look, when you know, when you look at the birthday shout out on Instagram, which I do every year, it's uh-huh. always a controversy. People are like, oh, that's your older sister, and it's not. But <laughs> her, what's interesting was her boyfriend was very, like, he knew. See, mm-hmm. everybody, I think it's like, it's interesting because, like, all the family, friends, and people that were outside, they clocked me instantly. Right. I think they knew, the family knew too, like my me, but no one would say anything mm-hmm. and it was respectful. Mm-hmm. Right. But he, you know, just was like, could tell easily and treated it like it was nothing. And I'm just looking like, sir, <laughs> you gonna, I mean, you gonna, in my head, I was like, you're gonna, you're gonna believe this straightness that I'm serving. And uh-huh. I know I'm, I know it's getting bad because these eyebrows are getting snatched. I'm coming from college. <laughs> I can't switch up these haircuts enough, you know, right. these jeans are skinny. I'm sorry, these are the clothes. I'm, I look good and professional, but you know, it's a different mm-hmm. look. Different, and I right. think he definitely was like, he's doing something else in Philadelphia and it is not women. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, he actually made it easy for me to come out, I think, and be mm-hmm. in that position to come out. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it wasn't crazy. And, I, and it's funny because um, a year later, um, I would meet my boyfriend, who is now my fiance, mm-hmm. who, and looking like that was 2018. We met in 2013. Last year, he proposes to me in Houston. And my mother and him are in on the surprise. They all knew it was coming. They surprised me in Houston at the waterfall. Fault, so that's where the waterfall mm-hmm. was. Mm-hmm. At the Gerald Hines waterfall. Anyone from Houston. That beautiful big water fountain. Right. And he proposed to me there. And so I looked back and it was on Christmas Eve of 2019. Wow. So seven years. So seven years ago. You know, at that time, I came out to my family, like, you know, trying to figure out what's next. Right. And then seven years later, here my mom is on this surprise and we get proposed to by who would be my soon-to-be husband. That's, wow. So that's progress for me. That's, it gets yeah. better for me. It's the, It gets better for me. So. Definitely. Yeah. So um, we're going to get into your business and we're going to get into 
I want to know about the communications. You know, like I said, yeah. I majored in communications. You majored in communications in your BA and your master's. What made you go into that field? Absolutely. So when I first graduated, you know, when I was in high school, you know, that was around the time Obama got elected. Mm-hmm. So I was interested in politics. You know, I was public school my entire life. So I didn't really put a lot of thought into so many careers. It was always like I wasn't doing sports. Mm-hmm. I was not going to be a singer because I really can't sing, unfortunately. I, I can act. <laughs> I can act, though. I can act. Um, but I, I um, so it was always, you're going to be a lawyer? <laughs> you know, you're going to be a doctor? Mm-hmm. What, what are you going to do that's going to be in that type of angle? Because I didn't really, you know, was talking about journalists. Like, that was not like a, a job, a career. And when people thought of journalists, they thought of mm-hmm. TV people. They think of writers. You know, right. no one, that, right. that wasn't ever, that wasn't in my my vernacular in my system at that time mm-hmm. you know you, you did corporate you could do a corporate you could get a corporate business person but those were the type of like roles so what fit for me was i was like you know i want to be a politician i might be Obama. i want to do that you know mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i was really interested in being a lawyer and then go on the political track that was my initial goals mm-hmm. when i went to when i went to the university of pennsylvania um i studied policy initially but then started to get into radio and into mm-hmm. media mm-hmm. and was like, I love the right. This radio stuff is fun. I like the reaction I'm getting from doing media and I'm feeling like there's something here, right? Right, right. And um, quickly to change my major to communications. Didn't really tell my folks to, I guess I was in the closet about that, but like <laughs> I was more so in the mindset that I knew what my new career goal was gonna be. Okay. And it wasn't going to be law. It wasn't going to do that. It was going to be journalism because I felt like that was an industry where I could bring out all of my talents. I could be smart. I could be strategic. I can argue. I could debate. I can be on camera. I always had an interest in doing like outward media because I did the arts most of my time in middle school. I did speech and debate. And journalism, what I love about it is that I could bring all of those talents to the speak the field while also still making an impact and that's one of the few careers where you can do your all your talents your voicing your video your in person your writing your thinking your your research all of that and and so i just loved it and and that's kind of what ended up happening and then yeah i got into the master's program at usc annenberg into communication management and i did that particular major because I have begun to evolve in media beyond just journalism. I have a company called Ernest Me Empire LLC, mm-hmm. and I've been having that company since uh, 2018. And I do media production, which is I get media contracts to produce content, which is what everyone sees every day from okay. the Griot to Daily Beast to Philadelphia Magazine. I do contract to work with them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I do communications work and I also do consulting. Okay. In the media space. Mm-hmm. And I really got the masters so I could be able to explore um, the be a better expert in the consulting aspects and communications aspects. And this masters gave me that um, in addition to learning new skills. But it was also an opportunity that I just couldn't turn down. And I was very grateful uh, to get the training and to get this master's degree. I pretty much think I'm done with school at this point. They say <laughs> yeah, never say too. never, but I'm pretty much done. Everyone's like, oh, what about a doctor? Why? Why? Right. And what I loved about it was my, one of my professors told me, he was like, honestly, a doctor in communications, if you're not trying to be a professor, 
like a, a serious because you could be a professor with a master's an adjunct but mm-hmm. if you wanted to be like when if you're not trying to be like this i'll just say like this to the people on the, on the podcast <laughs> you you get your bachelor's when you get your bachelor's you learn the theory mm-hmm. when you get the master's you apply the theory and when you get the doctorate you create a theory I don't mm, got time to create a right. theory. I love to apply a theory. A girl can learn a theory, but I'm not time to create a theory. I don't have right. time for that. It takes right. long to do that. Applying mm. is fun. I think I love the master's program. I knew everyone says the master's programs are way better than undergraduate, which I agree. Because you're applying it. It makes sense. Right. You're applying it to your work. You, you know, you know, you're going to get that. You're going to see that pay bump, you know, mm-hmm. when you mm-hmm. put on your resume, you're looking for jobs like, don't play with me. I want a director position. I want a management position. Right. Don't play with right. me on the other stuff. Not that anything right. wrong with my BA girls, but I'm just saying that you know it's a different conversation, and it's also just a you know in this day and age, I mean, it's just another opportunity to network. I I connected with so many people across the country in this program. It was a virtual program, mm-hmm. so there's people all over the country. You know, because I was I was studying during the pandemic, so oh, we did that right. but Zoom everything mm-hmm. and. I got a West Coast connection now from the East Coast, mm-hmm. which was great because now I got a lot of folks from California, folks on the West Coast that know the work that I do. And now I got this cool relationship with the schools too because I have other stuff and projects I'm trying to work on. And now I'm like, okay, I got a West Coast place that I can plant mm-hmm. some of these things at. Mm-hmm. And of course, I got my East Coast situation. I got my folks down South. So I'm just trying to take over the country. But listen, you know, <laughs> I mean, yes. that's how I was in my publishing program, like my master's program, because I feel like I made more connections in my master's program mm-hmm. than what I did in my BA program, which is yeah, undergraduate. <laughs> I got good friends. Right. But in master's, I got good networks. Yeah. My networks <laughs> I mean, I grew. To, yeah. I went to the Ivy League. So there was, there's always going to be a network there. But I think when I think about Penn, I see. I just think about the memories and the friendships I have. Like, like my best, my best woman who's going to be in my wedding. Mm-hmm. It was a, a, a woman who, who has been next door to my dorm when I was in college, oh, wow. and we've been inseparable for ten wow. years. My best friend, my best man, who's going to be at my wedding is my mm-hmm. best friend I grew up with in Houston. Okay, mm-hmm. and he's my, been my childhood friend since ooh, probably thirteen years, fifteen years now. We've been friends for like a long time. And so he actually moved to Philadelphia from Houston. And now we don't live that far from each other. Oh, wow. Whatever. That's good. That's good. That's crazy. Crazy. To this day, I'm, I'm so fortunate. I have that Oprah moment where I'm like, you know, when she talks about uh, Gail King, and she says she's a friend that everybody wants to have mm-hmm. the, the best friend. <laughs> it's an Instagram thing where Oprah talks about Gail. She, she's about to tear up. and Right, right. She right. goes off. I just. <laughs> <laughs> What would you say? What would you say to those um, people who you know who have graduated in MBA or master's programs who are mm-hmm. trying who don't want to work for nobody? Um, because I feel like these millennials and Generation Zs they don't want to work for no one. They want to work yeah, for I themselves, don't. and they myself. are like, listen, because if I'm working for someone, I probably know a little bit more than them, or they don't want to hear anything that I'm trying to say, and they don't want to grow or anything like that. So what would you say to someone who kind of wants to start their own company and who wants to, you know, go out and get contract work? Yeah. Um, like, what would you, what's your advice to those um, people who are trying to do that? Well, first of all, I will say that 
there's a lot of privilege involved in it. And everybody's coming from different places of privilege. Um, some have some, some don't. Um, the first thing I would say though, well, the first most important thing is, is the basic necessities. I think, you know, you want to give yourself a foundation where you can do that financially in a way that makes sense. You know, I was fortunate yeah. not to have undergraduate student loans. And, yeah. you know, when I look back at like, quote unquote, the privilege, right? I think about what drives some people to work for companies and others. And if some people, you know, look, they just, that's all they know and that's all they're going to do. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. other people who don't have a choice because they have loans, they have medical bills and things right. that they have to take care of. I'm very fortunate to be in a position where I have good health. Mm-hmm. I have health insurance, but I don't have to rely on certain treatments or medications. Um, and so there was times where I used to have this mentality years ago. I guess I was part of LLC Twitter. Not really, but this <laughs> logic of, oh, you know, be on boss, get this. But when I started looking at some of my friends and looking at people around me, there's different obligations that drive people to do the work. Right. However, that being said, um, to those people who are in a different position, like I'm in a household that has two people that's gainfully employed, myself and my fiance. Mm-hmm. He works, you know, traditional um, like job setting where he has benefits, he has those things. So that gives me this freedom to mm-hmm. kind of be this, yeah, I'm Mr. Boss, CEO, mm-hmm. LC. But I also have somebody working that nine to five that makes money too, right. that keeps all of this together. And so I have to look at my own individual privilege and how I've been able to be successful in what I do. Um, now, let me be clear. I didn't come from anybody's money. I don't come from money. Mm-hmm. And so even my circumstances are still like I'm building this and laying the foundation now. But there's people that got daddy's money and somebody else's money that's going to mm-hmm. fuel them. OK, these mm-hmm. self-made billionaires like Kyla Jenner, who got generations of money before her that kept her afloat. Right. Right. I, you know, most black folks I know don't have that. I, I didn't have that. So I'm laying the foundation yet and still. But to those people that can do the business or do the LLC situation, mm-hmm. I would tell them that you're going to have to work with somebody. And what I tell people mm-hmm. is work with companies, don't work for them. Right. And my LLC, you know, I have partnerships and contracted work with companies, with publications that I like and that, that has been good to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I have a working relationship with them, but I don't work for them in the mentality where they control my content, they control my voice, right. they control right. my image, and my branding. So I think that what I like to tell a lot of them is that if you can, be always in a position where you're working with someone, you're partnering with them, not necessarily for your business, like a co-owner, mm-hmm. but that mm-hmm. your business is in a position where it can work with merchants and others, business to business, business to client, but always have a situation where you can see your product or your services reaching out to individuals. A lot of right, times people right. come up with businesses and they want to do everything by themselves. And it's hard to do it that way. And mm-hmm. it will actually, if you don't have money up top or no capital up top, it will crash trying to be everything for everybody. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I, before I transitioned into LLC culture, I had some contracts lined up and then I transitioned those, those W9s, W2s, whatever, all those forms, I transitioned them mm-hmm. to going direct deposit to my business account. I stopped using my social security number, so I using my EIN number mm-hmm. and everything began to transfer there. And I began to build the legitimacy and the income and the capital for my business. And I was able to do that with clients. Where the, I call them clients now where I was able to say, hey, 
um, I'm going to start doing this through my business. So I need to be considered a vendor, not an individual. Right. right. So that switch started to happen. And that was great. And I've been able to do that. And but I had things ready. I had business. Yeah, that I need to just yeah. turn around and legitimize. So I have to tell people, get some business. Mm-hmm, <laughs> get mm-hmm. some people ready. So when you say I'm about to start this business, you better have at least 10 or five folks you know that's going to be consistent subscribers or supporters or folks. Right. Even more. But have people ready. Don't just say it begins, come to my store. Because you haven't test piloted this. Mm-hmm. You haven't had any, you know, this is your think tank right here. Mm-hmm. you got to have a base. And I mm-hmm. think sometimes in business, people don't think about that part of it right let's talk about and that's very good advice and i'm taking it in because i'm trying to do the same thing all right (laughs) so yeah yeah i'm a corporate um event planner so okay and i'm about to uh take my exam in a few months to get my certification to be a certified event um professional and listen tell people get certifications i don't care what anybody say my fiance has a business called Bartender Berry, and he got all the certificates. He got his safe mm-hmm. serve. He got another liquor certificate. He got a whiskey ambassador. He, he's a mm-hmm. he's an official whiskey taster. Like he's got some oh, wow. national certification. Oh, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. He got all these certifications. Get those. He got a ramp certification, safe serve, all that. Because let me tell you something. Get that stuff because, like you said, because what cuts you out from somebody else that do it is that. There's a bunch of people out here doing event planning that has nobody certi- cert- certification. Nope. All they got is some Instagram pictures and they follow talking about some. You see that little booth I designed? That was me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You see the, 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 the little testimonials? It means nothing when you don't have that real solid vouch. Mm-hmm. When I look at people who are, I'm trying to pay money for services from, I'm like, who are, where are your certifications? What What is your credentials? Yep. And that's going to be the difference. You got to have it. Mm-hmm. You got to have it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stop faking it till you make it. Right. And this certification is hard as fuck because <laughs> this exam is crazy. So when and I when tell you I'm going to be promoting it, I want to be promoting Listen, CMP in the back of my name, boom, there's that certification right there. So I want to get into this partnership. It's a partnership, I guess, with uh, Philly Magazine to editor at large. Yes. So, um, you know, the titles and positions come with the work. I still do the work mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's it's been great. I've been there for nearly five years. We five years in January. Oh, wow. Um, and I have been there. For, I started off as an LGBTQ editor. Okay. Then I transitioned to a columnist Then I became writer at large. And then now in my new role that happened around my birthday, actually, um, I became editor at large, which made me the first black at large in the publication's 112 year history. That's crazy. And congratulations yeah. for that. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about editor at large. What's your role? Um, the type of stories that you, you know, are writing and developing. Yeah. So in this position, what I love about at large is it reminds me of being a city councilman at large. Basically you oversee the whole city, you know, the, you know, every story, any story, you, you kind of have this freedom it's one of the most editorial um, liberating positions you can have because you're not constrained to a beat. Right. You can pretty much do editorial. You can pretty much do reported, investigative. You have a, a flavor at all. And you're treated in this way like you're an expert where you've done so much um, different types of writing styles that you have built this reputation 
where you can be able to do different writing and, and really go out and, and pick what you want. And, and that's a mm-hmm. it's every writer's mm-hmm. dream at a magazine or, or major publication to have that ability to just come in and say, I want to talk about dining in Philadelphia. Actually, today, I want to just talk about gratitude. Um, I want to cover the elections right now. I pretty much have this freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. And also, as the editor at large, um, in influencing the direction of the magazine, um, make you know, right. aligning it with its values, influencing diversity and inclusion, networking, programming. I get to be a, an ambassador for this publication outside of its newsroom. And so in this position, mm-hmm. with this representation, mm-hmm. you know, I plan to, one, um, increase the coverage, uh, the diverse coverage, because this is Philadelphia, it's a black city. Yes. And, is. you know, I want that to be there. I want this also be a city that recognizes um, the history, the racist history, the triumphs, the failures, and really just get us more and more accurate about what Philadelphia is, if we're going to call ourselves Philadelphia Magazine. Mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. my role and that's what i am tasked to do i love philadelphia philadelphia well i say a lot of people ask me would you move to philadelphia i was living in philadelphia for like three months because i moved mm. in with a boyfriend and then i was like oh not a good idea broke up with him it was crazy i'm like that we were together about- for we were together for a year and then I moved in and it was supposed to be a temporary move anyway. Okay. Um, because I had a job not too far from his house. So, um, like literally I moved in with him in May and broke up with him in July. <laughs> it was crazy. And I just was like, huh, well, wasn't for me. <laughs> yeah. So, but Living I love someone Philadelphia. Can change. Yeah, I really? love Philadelphia. Um, I've been literally, I've been partying in Philadelphia since I was 16. Um, How old are you now? 32. Okay. So, um, you know, it, I know Philadelphia like, kind of like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, would I move back to Philadelphia? I don't I don't know. I don't know. I lived in New York and then mm-hmm. it just was like because it's kind of like I grew up in Philadelphia, it's kind of like I don't know if I would move back, but I lo- and I always say like Philadelphia is probably one of the coolest cities and cultured city that you probably would even find outside of New York. It's just like I love it. Would I move back? I have no clue. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have that makes no sense. Clue. But um, yeah, I love it. I love it. But speaking of relationships, I definitely want to get into your relationship with your fiance. Um, you know, being black and gay, we don't see a lot of black love. We see a lot of interracial dating. Facts. Uh, <laughs> but um, and that's we could get on that mm-hmm. for all the rest of the night. <laughs> sure can. But um, I definitely. So how did you guys meet? met in college um Mm. he was a freshman i was a senior um we both got a master's i mean uh we both got a bachelor's in communication from penn Mm -hmm. um he's like more on the corporate um communication side and i'm more on the journalism side of course right we met in college um we was just really good friends. I mean, I always had a crush on him, and mm-hmm. I definitely think he was interested in me. But I think that he was also like, you know, I just got to campus, and right? You're about right. to leave, so like, can we really like 
could this really be a thing or just just like a moment and then um yeah, we just started talking more and more i think winter break when we were apart we just talked and talked and got to know each other really well and then february 13th is our anniversary day before valentine's day it was kind of mm-hmm. like what's valentine's day like you know are we you know dating what yeah, we, you know, we doing conversation. That, 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 <laughs> but it was like we knew what it was but we were just like why not so we mm-hmm. became official the day before Valentine's Day mm-hmm. and um, after that yeah we just kept going I stayed in Philadelphia that summer um, we lived together in the summer um, right after I graduated because I was traveling a lot I was going to the BT Awards and the BT Hip Hop Awards mm-hmm. I was not yet settled into what I was going to be doing like long term so I was doing right, like, freelance right. jobs and odd end jobs but I had found a nice studio apartment that was four fifty a month in West Philly. Oh wow! I moved there. He was still <laughs> in school, and he lived on campus. Like that was definitely like he spent his school year on campus. Mm-hmm. But you know, like summertime off campus, you know, it costs money. You have to do off campus subletting. So we stayed together and just continued to continue our relationship. And then once he graduated, um, twenty seventeen, uh, we lived together permanently. Have been together ever since, and he mm-hmm. proposed to me last year, um, and that was exciting. But yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, like I said before, it's kind of like inspiring because you don't see black on black gay love, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. You see a lot of interracial dating, and you see a lot of the black mm-hmm. guys, or you see a, basically a lot of the white guys loving the black guys, and the black guys loving the white guys. You mean fetishizing? Mm-hmm. If that's what uh, you want to call it. <laughs> okay. What is it? There has been fascinating. I mean, I have, I have never been in an interracial relationship before. Mm-hmm. Um, neither has my partner. He, I think I'm his second boyfriend. Well, I'm his first boyfriend, but he had a dude he was talking to before he came to Penn. But mm-hmm. I, um, yeah, I never, I always, I, I just, every encounter I had with someone that was white was mostly like, I, I don't. I don't think any. Mm, I think there was some Latinx men who probably flirted with me or I danced with at a club or something. Right, that relationship. Right. But when I think about like just being in college, like Penn is a very you know it's a it's a pretty white school. I read, yeah. And um, I just remember white men coming up to me and just saying the most over the top things. It was always felt. It just always felt like it was a fetish. It mm. always felt that way. I never mm-hmm. dated. Never did, but even just the encounters of going to a bar and someone right. coming up to you saying, oh, you know, you look good, you know, uh, you look good. Uh, let me see that BBC. You got a big <laughs> booty. Slapping my butt without my permission. Right, right. And just saying the most ridiculous things. And, and just the, it's just a lot of that. And I was just always turned off. And I did a lot of work. And I you, you know, Philly, I did a lot of work in journalism work in my earlier years of my career on neighborhood racism. Right. racism and lgbtq community right. and a lot of the stuff i experienced in my college years and even you know because b- by the time i got with barry i stopped going to the neighborhood like that i was in the clubs honey i was i was off the scene mm-hmm. but those years when i was there was a lot of that you know and this is my first time really going to gay clubs and like really having this experience and this is happening when i'm 18 19 you know, 20, 21, you know, mm-hmm, 22, right, like right. that, that, that early adulthood, most of my life, like once I got to like, yeah, by the time I was 22, I was off the scene. I had got snatched up. <laughs> I've been off the market for se- going to be seven years. Oh, wow. In February. So I, I, I mean, anytime at that point when I went to the gay clubs, it was always, 
it was Pride. So it was like everybody was out for Pride day, right. day drinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a media event where I had to cover something that was LGBTQ editor. Mm-hmm. But the racism over there always turned me off from the gay community when I got wrong wrong. Like I never go there for anything. People be, I, I, and also my public persona, my, my public figureness has made it hard for me to even go out like that now. Right, right. So like everything I have to do has to be not for like a diva. But I would just say that a lot of times when I go out, it's, it's, it's if I'm going out to a nightclub, it's got to be a private section. It's got to mm-hmm. be a VIP situation. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go to the bar all night. If I do go out with friends, we go into a happy hour. We got our own little table. Mm-hmm. We mind our business. We're doing our thing. You know, if we do dinner, I got to have a nice, I got to have a reservation. I just need my yeah. stuff to be together when I go out. I, I'm yeah. too grown to go and somewhere. you get like that when you, you get older. You know that. Older. You know that. You get like that when you get older because Especially when you bang because you done seen so much I have to tell you to say why does it feel like y'all grow faster because let me tell you something when you have seen (laughs) the fights and seen the ratchetness your life is yelling and the the, the late nights the let out you Mm -hmm. know the let let out out was always popping (laughs) I'm just like y'all understand I've had so many near death experiences near you know crazy nonsense Mm -hmm. I'm at a point where to be past the age that I am now to survive without any crazy stuff, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Is is like crazy. Like not to be in jail. Mm-hmm. You know, not to be, you know, in bad situations. You know, we have a I've had, you know, people I know who in a struggle with addiction, had abusive relationships, you know, lost their confidence, dropped out of school, threw a career away, didn't oh, know yeah. where to pick their life. A lot of stuff, right? And so to be at this point in the game and in my career, I'm just like, I'm not about to blow it or just keep putting myself in harm's mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. So I tell a lot of my friends, especially those who are at this age, right? Because right. we're in a position where we can get the young girls together. I go to the, the addict. I, I talk mm-hmm. to some of the kids. I be like, listen, you think this stuff matters? Woo! It really <laughs> does get better. It Trust me, this is not all of this. Y- all this that y'all arguing and fighting about and getting into it about. Mm-hmm. I promise you, it will mean nothing. Nothing <laughs> it will whatsoever. Be, you, you're fighting over trade, sister. Trade right. don't want you. The trade for all of you. <laughs> I mean, yeah. the stuff that they would do, like, if you remember, it's just like a petty. And you get to an age where you're like, wow. Like, I look back at myself and say, like, look at my, my old self at like 16, 18. Like, damn, I was such a bird. But. Mm-hmm. You had to grow, you, you know, you had to grow up and Yeah, stuff. you didn't really know. You didn't know. <laughs> you and know. like a lot of people say, like, you're just so mellow and you're this, you're mm-hmm. that. I'm like, listen, I grew up to be like, right. I was always mellow anyway, but mm-hmm. I was always that ratchet one in the club. I was always right. the one. And I always I, had to dance in the middle. Always. Always. Always, <laughs> always had to cut That was me. I always had to be always. the first one with my ass, shaking my ass. Busting splits, doing turns. Mm-hmm. I didn't did like my thing is I have done enough of that that like I don't even think people understand. My best friends know. They know. I was like Lindsay Lohan out here. Right. But it's crazy Paris because Hilton. it's people that are older than us still doing the same still thing. Doing, but you and know what's crazy? Don't can, be we like talk, can we talk about how we would go to Woody's back in the day and it would be them old cats? I've been like, you are here every time I'm here. Mm-hmm. This is your life. You live here. Right. And it's a wake-up call, though, that this could be you. You could be that dude at, like, mm-hmm. 41, 45, in the club, talking to some young piece mm-hmm. of me. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that. 
I look I'm back at some of the men that tried to flirt with me back then, and you was like 18, 19. You thought it was cute that a 33-year-old mm-hmm. or somebody was, you know how that was, talking right. to you, and you right. thought you were special. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking like, child, I'm 29. I don't even look at nobody. I couldn't even look at anybody that was like under 25. Right, yeah. I couldn't even yeah. look at mm-hmm. no one, anyone that's like, 22 or 20. I'll be like, child, you ain't got nothing for me. You ain't got <laughs> nothing going on. If you don't turn around and go walk, like, right. But, but it's, but that's what you know something's up though. Cause when you're at a mature age mm-hmm. and you've lived, you've grown up, there's nothing there. Nope. And when you, when I was younger, I used to always be like, I thought I had it going. I thought I was ready. I mm-hmm. so was not ready. I was like, why was this man playing in my face? Because if I look at my old stuff at where my age was and whoever I was talking to at that time, I'm like, child, you was playing. You didn't even have to. I mean, I was I was definitely cute, still cute. I was mm-hmm. cute, but but not anywhere prepared to talk right. to anybody at that age. Right, right. And, and and the fact that there's people out there that be just, you know, <laughs> over it, over it. <laughs> Speaking of the gay clubs, I definitely yeah. want to get into this article that you wrote um, called There Goes the Gayberhood. Um, yes. And, you know, we growing up in the gayberhood um, and now it's kind of like the transition of, well, where is the gayberhood mm-hmm. now? You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I went to 12th Street Gym. Like, I was a member of, you know, that gym before. You know, I went to all these clubs and now it's kind of like, Okay, well, where is it at? And it's not even just Philly; it's nationwide. You know what I mean? Oh, it's a racer. It's a racer, and part of it is because, like you know, you know, it is who owns the land makes the rules. Right. Mm-hmm. We didn't own anything, you know. Not most. There's some, right? Now you're hearing about these black gay clubs owners want to own clubs, child, but. Mm-hmm. But most of these people, we didn't own these clubs. We didn't own this property. We got pushed out. The racial discrimination sucked the flavor and the color out of the community. Right. These white, cisgender, gay men owned the property and wanted to assimilate with straight white people who then priced them out and took the property over. Mm-hmm. And they thought they were special. And so the rest of us got played. Women got played in the community. Trans people got played over everybody. Uh, Black and brown, LGBTQIA folk got played. We mm-hmm. all got played. And now they looking like they don't know what's going on. Okay. When you got all these Pete Buttigieg types that have sold out our community and pimped our community out to get that assimilation. And the rest of us lost what we thought was our community. But what I've had to tell people and some of the stuff that I've written is that people are finding community elsewhere. You know, people yeah. are finding other ways that, you know, to create. I mean, I'm starting to see black spaces in Philadelphia begin to open their doors to the larger LGBTQ community that's black, right? Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. I, I was down here at Cedar Park and Booker's let Black Lives Matter throw a pride event in Philly. Black Lives Matter Philly threw a pride, a black pride celebration at Booker's, the restaurant, this local black restaurant in West Philly. Oh, wow. And I was like, we here, right here, everybody lives in West Philly. Right. These people can come right across the block in a, in a what I believe more safe environment, right? Mm-hmm, they ain't getting mm-hmm. racially profiled. Right. You know, the, the cops ain't all out there bothering anybody. And they get to galvanize in a Black-owned space and support a Black-owned business that is including them and recognizing, acknowledging them. And so that meant a lot. 
Yeah. But, you know, more stuff like that is happening across the city. It's not happening as fast as it could, mm-hmm. but it is happening. And people just start to get tired of just the neighborhood. And so the drag queens in the community keep on trying to force the community to go there. Shame on you. Get yeah. creative. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There's other spaces to have things at. And I just think a lot of this was just about money. It really yeah. wasn't about community. A lot of this was about money. And it got oversaturated. Like, how many bingos and quizos that y'all gonna have how many drag brunches y'all gonna have why is everything drag not that (laughs) drag is not good but it's just like is that everything that we have for entertainment Mm -hmm. why Mm -hmm. did we not have enough you know where was the lgb you know art like r&b like art you know where was the the night reviews the the lgbtq talent reviews where it was just folks that can sing that can can do poetry, that can do other things outside of just the razzle-dazzle drag. Right. And what happened is that they started to make it accommodating for straight people. Straight white women oh having engagement God. parties yeah. at Woody's at these places. Like, they start to make this a, a voyeuristic experience for straight people, specifically straight women. Like, it was like a, I want to go here and shake and dance how I want to dance. I want to get my life at With this game. gay man. <laughs> I knew it was over when my, and, and you remember in the piece, my opening was Penn. My mm-hmm. class, my reunion, mm-hmm. my five year yep. reunion had their damn after party at Voyeur right there in the neighborhood. I was mm. like, Voyeur? Do y'all know that that's a gay club? <laughs> right. And there's a dude drunk saying the F word in line, about to go in. Oh my God! I said, "Oh, we just insulted." There goes the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. But that, you know, that was what I'm saying. Like, why would you sell it? But the stuff they have to do for money, man, it's just a mess. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's talk about the fact I did a story once about Fifty Cent was promoting F and Vodka when he owned it. He, I met him in the neighborhood at Boyer, and he had a private VIP booth, and I went in there, got a picture with him. It was a whole thing. Um, story. There's a story. You can Google it. Right. Like, why was 50 Cent in the neighborhood? But I got a whole photo with him, and he was there to promote his vodka. He got a liquor distribution at Voyeur. And basically, mm. they sold to them, like, 50 Cent going to be in the building tonight. And literally, all these straight folks came to Voyeur that night for 50. And I went to cover it because I was like, wait a minute. 50 Cent is in this neighborhood right. at this club? And mind you, Voyager look like Leviticus in um, Empire. <laughs> yeah, it's it does. All of that. It's it giving does. me that Every time I look at that balcony, I said, this is a movie. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like any of the neighborhood bars anymore, but I would say that Voyager was the best looking neighborhood club in, in, in the neighborhood. Best oh, looking. Yeah. Inside the, the I, it was it was the multiple floors for me. Mm-hmm. It was the dance floor that lit up for mm-hmm. me. Every time I was in there, it felt like a music video. Like do a right. lip could a film, don't stop now up in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They should do music videos there more if they haven't already. They the, if y'all trying to pimp the community out, turn it into a music video. Get Usher there and do some flips. Right. <laughs> That's crazy. And yeah, so the neighborhood is just kind of like dissolving as we they go. Done, they, done, they done paint over the glory uh, Cazares mural Did that they? was on 12th Street. Mm-hmm. They done, yeah, they just painted over it. Those new property owners, they're painting over it. 
Oh my god. So there's no more Gloria mural there, RIP. Oh my god. It's terrible, man. And when terrible. I was reading, and it's no more 12th Street Gym. No more 12th Street Gym. Taboo that was right there. That's yep, no more. I know that closed. Eye Candy got taken out. So now they put Taboo where the old Eye Candy is. Okay. They oh didn't close god. down Denture Inn, which is Venture Inn, but we call it Denture Inn. <laughs> I haven't gone out in Philly in a long time, but I know the owner of Taboo um, because when I was starting, I was starting a Philadelphia um, gay basketball league. And he's he quite, he's quite the interesting person, isn't he? Very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Very. So, I definitely wanted to just pick your mind about that because I was like, I have to, I read the article and I was like, I have to talk to you about it. Especially because, like I said, it's happening not just in Philadelphia. It's happening Mm-mm. everywhere. It's happening oh, as big as New York is. It's oh, happening heard. in New York. You know what I mean? I've it's heard. like, New York isn't really New York anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the reason why, one of the reasons why I did want to move to New York because it had a great, you know, gay especially black gay, you know, culture. And now it's kind of like, it's no more. Um, so yeah, I definitely wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. Um, so we getting into this teabag segment and I want to get your opinion on two things real quick. Um, and this is of course, some of your postings as well on Instagram. So I had to be like, okay, he has to talk about this. So the new app clubhouse, um, that everyone has been on, you know, mm-hmm. I've been reading comments about the app, and some people don't like it. Some people do like it. Some people say that it's a lot of fraudulent activity going on within Clubhouse. Um, what's your take on, you know, the new app? Not a fan. Um, I think that it's wasted potential. Mm-hmm. I think it had the potential to be something great, and I think that because the the creators don't have the proper um, settings in place to protect users, it's going to self-destruct. Right. And it's going to self-destruct because there's no quality control. Uh-huh. Um, when you make an app, and I have a friend, a really great friend of mine who has an app. His name is Chris Witherspoon, and he has an app called Pop Viewers. I want everybody to get on that app. I'm going to, I got to, you know, my new thing now, I've been telling myself is, is that I have to shade one thing and light up something else. <laughs> right. So I want to say that before I burn this, I'm going to burn this app, this, this Clubhouse app, but I'm going to rise this one from a phoenix from the ashes. <laughs> Let me say this about Clubhouse app and then my, some of my concerns. One is that, like I said, there's no quality control. You don't let a bunch of people come over here, right? You have no filters. You have nothing in place to fact check. You have nothing in place to stop the misogyny, the homophobia, the transphobia, the xenophobia that's mm-hmm. been happening in some mm-hmm. of these chat conversations. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much a free for all for anybody, whomever, to reinvent themselves on this app, say what they want to say, and spread a lot of misinformation um, that isn't being checked. Right. Other apps, no matter how crappy they can be, there's opportunities to really dive in and do some quality control with some immediate reactions. They're just trying to bulk up their disciplinarian ways of dealing with this, but it's a little too late and it's not responsive enough. Mm-hmm. And so it's become basically um, Reddit Live, in my opinion. Mm. Like the Reddit comments and the vultures and the types of people that be on Reddit, right. those are right. disgusting vandals of Twitter have now came here and created their own colony where they're going to basically gaslight black women and trample over black LGBTQI people. And, you know, I've been on the app for a couple of weeks and 
I would just say that when I first got on, I was just really deep into it. Like I, I remember the first day I was on, I didn't go to bed till 5 a.m. because I was so engrossed into trying to, you know, figure my way in and get into mm-hmm. the conversations and be a right. part of it. Right. And then the more and more I started recognizing patterns on the app, you gotta it just has gotten worse. Like the more like all types of people on there, I don't trust it, you know? Yeah. It just, you know, ops, you know, you don't know the ops out there recording the calls. You just don't know what it's That's going true on. too. That's true I don't, too. You know, it's like people on there bearing their soul and their personal mm-hmm. thoughts. You don't know what kind of hater is somewhere in there like prop like mm-hmm. it's not a safe it's not a safe space. And I think that that's why mm. I just can't get with it. So I don't think it's going to last long. Um, I've been one of the few people that was invited by Twitter to do a thing called a Twitter Spaces. Uh huh. And that's basically like Clubhouse, except with sanity, dignity, and the con- quality control. Okay. And yeah. that's going to be coming soon. And when that comes out, remember this conversation because Clubhouse will die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I kind of feel like... Um... I haven't even been on it as much, you know. I I've explored it um, and sat in on some conversations, but I'm not. I'm kind of really not a fan of it. Um, mm-hmm. That's just my take on it. And which you know, your remarks that you said kind of definitely brings up a good point. Like you know, who's recording this? You don't know who actually is listening on. You don't know. So that's definitely a good way um, to put it to and you know another perspective. Um, another topic I want to just briefly go into is the COVID vaccine. This is really a big thing going on now. Um, especially within the black community, a lot of black people are like, I'm not taking it. I'm not taking it. Um, what's your take on it? I think that, you know, at the end of the day, I think that the people who are going to be putting themselves in environments that are consistently interacting with people need to prioritize and take it. I think that people who um, have a luxury where they don't have to go out often, they don't have to do it, that's your choice. Right. But I think what's very important is, is that what we can't do is make decisions based off of misinformation and bad science. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that are saying stuff about the vaccination are running conspiracy theories and just a lot of, a lot of um, you know, I mean, if you don't have a trust, if you don't trust the doctors for the history, right? If you're a black person, don't. I understand that, right? I've done my research. I'm aware. But that's your personal prerogative, and that's your mm-hmm, risk. Mm-hmm. That's your risk, and that's your right, right? But don't get in the business of discouraging or feel like you have to enforce your belief system on other people right. to do what needs to be done for their health. Because at the end mm-hmm. of the day, you don't hold their life in your hands. You don't have their circumstances in their hands. And to be quite honest, we all dealt with the vaccination situation when we know syphilis was out and polio had to happen in the 1940s. We need a vaccination in order to get this country on the road. So right. everybody can sit up and say, okay, I don't believe in vaccinations, but do y'all believe in masks? Do y'all believe in washing your hands? Mm-hmm. Do you believe in social distancing? Because see, to me, it's the inconsistency for me. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be health conscious, also stop eating tilapia then. <laughs> stop, 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 you know, having mm-hmm. unprotected sex with strangers. Mm-hmm. Stop, stop, you know, you know, passing that blunt and not washing it off or getting your own. Like, think about a lot of the things that we do that are unsanitary or we think is risky or unsafe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think more people need to, you know, like, it, it, to me, some of the people who are like this, just say, 
that should just have conspiracy theory. Just say that you're scared to get a shot. Just say that you don't mm -hmm. have to get shots. Yeah. Maybe it's as simple as that, but all of this 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 performative self-awareness and self-health and this expertise stuff. It's funny because these are also people that don't live healthy lifestyles outside of vaccinations. Mm. Are you regularly getting checked up by a doctor? Are you getting your blood pressure checked? Are you checking your, your cholesterol levels? Like, you're, are you doing other things to maintain it? So all that energy you have against the vaccine, where else are you putting that energy into your health? Right. right. So I just want people to keep that same energy because mm. a lot of times the same people that got so much to say about this are the same people that's eating sea moss and talking about all this about CMOS. Where did you get that information from? <laughs> or the people that was passing around that information about gargling sea salt water to prevent COVID. Like, where are you getting your information from? You can believe that, but you can't actually take the time to listen to a black woman who created one of the vaccines for Moderna. Just saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm just saying, it, it's just, it's a lot of inconsistency for me. And that's yeah. why I have a hard time taking a lot of these people. Like, there's some folks that I know in the industry that are saying, which is a legit thing is that, you know, honestly, they're privileged in a position where they don't have to take the vaccine right now. And so they're looking to see what's good, what the, what the, what the side effects will be for people. But these people aren't saying that. They're saying stuff like this, where the government could control you. And at, at one point in time, you believe that the pandemic was a hoax from the government. Now you believe that the vaccine's a hoax. So which one is right, it? Right. Because let me tell you something that isn't a hoax. 200, over 200,000 people die right. mm -hmm. from this pandemic. Those deaths are not a hoax. Mm -mm. And the people who consistently go out here and not wear masks and put them, their lives at risk, that's not a hoax. This virus is real. People are dying. Every day. More, they said 5% of the American population has, has had COVID. 25% mm -hmm. of all COVID cases is in the United States alone. Mm -hmm. You think this is a game? Keep playing. Mm -mm. I definitely said I would be someone who would take it. But, you know, it's kind of like, and a lot of people are saying, well, I don't know what it's going to be if I take it and all these symptoms. Listen, everyone's right. body type is different. You right. know what I mean? Just like the flu shot. Everyone's body type is different. And, you know, with me, with the flu shot, I take the flu shot because when me I didn't take it, I got sick. <laughs> when I, I took the flu shot. I get, I get a flu shot every year. Yeah. And I have to tell you something. I don't remember the last time I was really sick. Mm -hmm. The last I time the I last was time was when I, was I didn't really get it. <laughs> Think about it. I keep, you know, I, 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 I'm very much, you know, it's crazy. Like this, I would say for the last year and a half, I've been consistently keeping up with my vitamin regimen. Mm -hmm. I've been doing uh, fish oil um, tablet supplements, which has been really helpful, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I'm into probiotic now. I've been drinking this um, wonderful organic, government approved, none of this, you know, no need juice crap, but uh, Good Belly, which is, mm. they sell it at Whole Foods, it's a card and it's really cheap, but it's a, uh, it's a, 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 like a smoothie blend juice, but it's, um, it's probiotics and it has a lot and it helps you keep your gut clean and keep you regulated. Yeah, I'm and taking a probiotic I've read a lot too. about that. Probiotics mm -hmm. are necessary. And so I'm doing a lot to take care of my health as I get into my 30s. I want to be proactively doing this, not when I need to do it. Right. Be proactive with your health. And mm -hmm. sleep, I've been sleeping more. I've just been doing more to take care of myself um, because I just feel like if you want to start those habits, you need to start them when you're well. 
Not right. when you're run down. I think people always say, okay, now I got to do it. Now I got to mm -hmm. Now I got to think about my sleeping and my eating and things. Think about that now, you know? So I'm always right. taking vitamins. And I think that because of that, I haven't been sick because mm -hmm. I just keep my health in check. A lot of folks out here be like, I don't want a vaccination, but are you going to get a flu shot? Right. <laughs> are you going to do anything? Are you going to take vitamin supplements to keep your, mm -hmm. your vitamin? You know, keep your vitamin D up. That's why I said vitamin D deficiency is, has been consistent with mm -hmm. folks who died from COVID. Black folks, we need vitamin D more than anybody else. What are we doing to keep our vitamin D situation up? What are we doing to keep our ourselves our health in check? So all this about vaccinations, get checkups too. Do that. Oh, definitely. Do definitely. That. Well, that <laughs> I love you, Ernest. You you speak it like it is, and that's all you can do. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I want to uplift my um or maybe you have another question. I want to um go ahead. Shout my friend. So speaking of bad apps and good apps, so the good app is uh pop viewers which is by Chris Witherspoon, who is an was an entertainment reporter. He's now on Wendy Williams doing correspondence stuff for entertainment. Mm -hmm. uh, he was on Fandango, uh, CNN, The Grio, and he has a new app out. He's a black gay man, mm -hmm. has this incredible app called Pop Viewers. And basically what it lets you do, because all this great binge watching, is that you can go on there, they have a list of all the movies, all the latest shows, you go on there, you click on the video, I mean, you click on the video, the uh, movie or whatever, mm -hmm. and you get to uh, give a video reaction, a rating of what you thought about the film. Oh. So, or, or the show. And they do it by show, episodes, or seasons mm -hmm. and stuff. And so you could just go on the app and you could just see people's video reactions to the show. Like they get like 45 seconds or a minute or whatever, and they just do a read. Like, you know, I really like this show. Don't watch it because of this, this, that, and the third. <laughs> it's really good. This is really good about it. And people just tell these reviews, and it's real everyday people. It's a lot of our people on there, mm -hmm. and it has given me a lot of like context. And I've been getting on there, and I'm starting to do more reviews, just individual reviews about certain shows and movies right. I've watched. Right. And it, it's it's getting some traction and things. So he's doing some really good work. You're gonna have to introduce me to him. I'm gonna have to yeah. have him on my show. Yeah, his name is uh, Chris Chris um, Chris Witherspoon, and the app is pop viewers and it's on apple's ios so you can go on your ipad mm -hmm. or you can get you get on your ipad or your iphone mm -hmm. um i really really love the app it's been doing so it's just fun to watch all these personalities and people it's everyday people just mm -hmm. ranting about shows and i love but it that's because what we do anyway that. we do it anyway but now there's an app only about tv and movies so mm -hmm. we don't have to be on twitter all the time being unprofessional and messing up our twitter threads right. one moment you gotta tell people oh my god pray for the people at the hurricane and then next month you talk about teacher it just i, I like <laughs> like now I'm trying, to, I'm trying to transition to pop viewers right take my thoughts to pop viewers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i'm definitely gonna look that up and i'll probably i will also post it on my um instagram as well absolutely he's yeah. awesome um, we're going to get into the last segment in my bag, and so of course everyone knows in my bag is kind of like what you what got you in your feelings, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and I so for the past, and I'll go first. The past couple of weeks, um, I just been doing a lot of thinking. I've been seeing a lot of stuff on Twitter, and you know, I have a couple people that I know that have you know their own business coaching um, mm -hmm. companies and you know all these different companies that you know you want to make money doing this or you you know marketing digital marketing and all this other stuff and I'm just like 
I don't even remember you having experience doing this. And how, so how do you have a company? You know what I mean? And then it's kind of like they're posting, oh, well, I made this much um, last week. And if you want to make this much, you know, it was, a, it's a lot of that. And I see it a lot of in our age bracket as well. Um, mm-hmm. People doing it. And I'm like, I don't even remember, you, you know what I mean? Remember you being into this type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, when you posted something on Instagram about it, it kind of was like, "Dag, well, I guess I'm not the only one um, thinking this." And you know, I see a lot of it in Philadelphia. I see a lot of it in New York, and just everywhere. Um, so that definitely got me in my bag, and it got me in my bag because, like, I'm trying to do shit the right way. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting my credentials and stuff, you know, I'm mm-hmm. you know, learning and I'm trying to make my money the right way. You know what I mean? And not just super duper quick. I know it's going to take work and I know it's going to, you know, be useful in the future where I am making, you know, the income that I want to make. Um, so I just am very in my bag about that because <laughs> I'm just frustrated because it's like a lot of people are stunting for the gram and trying to make quick money and say they're an expert and say that they're, you know, um, an industry professional in this and they're really not. Yeah, I think part of the problem, and I agree with you, I, I've been in my bag about that and I have my bag about something else, but to say what you were saying, a lot of people have been doing that lately and I think it's what I call this Instagram CEO culture where a lot of these people are looking for get rich money, rich, quick schemes, banking mm-hmm. lifestyles. They don't have any real talent. And so the talent becomes put on the performance to make money. Yeah. And I think that people have gotten so good performing success, performing happiness, that they're even being more miserable inside. Mm-hmm. Like there has become people that I see that's performing success, like performing. It's not even real, it's not authentic. And it's somebody who's having real success, it's annoying because I'm like, this ain't real. Like you're right. trying to put on this persona. And I sometimes think, I don't want to rag, sometimes I'll be like, oh, I don't want to rag on these people for that because maybe this is what it's going to take to get them to feel confident and make them feel better. Mm-hmm. But actually, no, because the reality is that you're selling a lie and they're trying to capitalize off of that lie. Mm-hmm. You're trying to sell stuff that's manipulating people. And then you're oftentimes doing it to other black people. It's not yeah. like you're tricking somebody else mm-hmm. or, or, or going to tricking Wall Street and tricking these really wealthy gentrifiers and developers and colonizers. You're over here trying to rip off your own people and look for your most vulnerable people. And that type of sociopathic behavior, that vindictive, manipulative behavior, it's just disgusting. Like there's people mm-hmm. out here that really are desperate right now during the pandemic. Yeah. They're going through it. I mean, damn it, the government is trying to give us a measly six hundred dollars. There are people out here who are are, are helpless mm-hmm. and you're preying on their vulnerability and desperation to make a coin, right. lying to them about what you can offer. And there's this guy who did it and I had to call him out on it because I was like, Oh, you're I saw out here that. taking people's money. I saw that. And it's crazy because and no certifications. And I saw that because I follow him and Mm. I've been following him for years and um, me, of course, being in events, you know, he has an event space and all this other stuff. I'm like, okay, Mm. well, let's see what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. And so when you posted that, I was like, my mouth dropped. And then I sent it to my friend who also knows him Mm. and her mouth dropped. And 
you know, I was like, damn, you know, and then I went to the comments and when I tell you they were eating his ass up and I was like, well, what the is going on? In what the they say in the comments? Yeah. What they say in the comments? They were saying a lot. They was like, well, you know, I guess he's starting up a new scam in 2021 and I just was yeah. like, oh my God. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That the guy portrays that he is like, like you said, a CEO, Instagram well, CEO. Well, let's talk about let's talk about some of the antics. One of the antics that I saw was he was taking pictures outside of Rolls Royces, Lamborghinis, and mm-hmm. fancy cars. Mm-hmm. Well, some of those locations that he was taking photos at, those were not his cars. That was not his private jet. Um, I did my research and pulled the receipts that in Atlanta, which is where he's currently located, uh-huh. he there's a place where you could pay money to go on location and take photos with these expensive cars and jets and things like there's a whole set they'll set it up for you and you just go and pay money and you could be in the the car next to the jet next to all that nobody's flying in those cars uh, those planes nobody's like riding that stuff for real for real Mm -hmm. i mean some of them might be renting the car some of them might actually rent some of them but a lot of those cars and those multiple cars in those planes they don't own that stuff i think he owns like Maybe one or two of those cars, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But all of those cars that he's taking photos with, all of these consistent cars, he's putting a red bow on. He and is the not jet, in the, the jet, car. The jet, the, the plane. jet is not here, not real. All mm-hmm. of that is all paid for marketing. Marketing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's and it's tacky. Dude, you riding a car like that, but you wearing skinny jeans and a t-shirt. How am I supposed to believe that? Right. <laughs> and has anyone seen the jet move? Right. <laughs> Has anyone seen the jet fly off? I mean, you get buddy passes from friends at airports. He used to work over there at the luxury jet places. He used to work there with his wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that he has played. Uh, uh, I gotta say this. I gotta keep it 100 tonight. One of my um, people that I've covered and I, I've done media for is mm-hmm. one of the owns a cancer um, a, a cancer com- a nonprofit that is trying to support black people living with cancer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This dude, when he was doing his event spaces, said that he was at the grand open, this guy's venue space, and was given off the impression that he helped him do that. He didn't. Wow. He brought his camera there, showed up to the dude's grand opening, uh-huh. and then used it and filmed it like he basically got this guy in space and helped this guy. He did not do that. Mm. You can't believe what you see on Instagram. Let's just say that. The scam is real. The work is not for free. Right. You cannot. You cannot believe it. So that's what got me in my bag, and I'm glad it was in yours a little bit. And I know it's in a lot of people' um, bags. But just to say it again, don't believe what you see on Instagram. Right, unless you meet the person, at least see receipts, exactly. or at least see that the lifestyle that they have on the Instagram matches the lifestyle that they have on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Also matches what the articles say, the mm-hmm. awards say, and everything else. I tell people that you know the titles that I've given myself in reference to my work is right. real. Mm-hmm. If you say award-winning journalist, let me be clear: Forbes 30 under 30. You can Google that. Mm-hmm. Sigma Delta Chi Award. American Editors Association Award, NABJ Awards, mm-hmm. KBJ Awards. I, I've won real industry awards that are undisputed, unmatched, and unrivaled. Mm-hmm. It's real. 
And I think that as somebody who's worked hard my life to do that, right? I didn't come from money. I didn't have a sponsor. Mm-mm. When you work your ass off and you do that work, when you see a fake person walk in the room, flexing like they can sit the table with you, mm-hmm. you have to let that person know on site to right. either learn. You can, we could do a lunch and learn, mm-hmm. but we're not about to sit up here and fake like you have earned your place at this table. You cannot sit with us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and what I've been very advocate about, I'm going to continue to do as we get as we in the new year, is that I'm not going to entertain, but not only enter, not entertain, but not give the appearance mm-hmm. that I entertain. I, and this is why I'm going to get my bag with my my what's in okay. my bag. Okay. Is that too often you get a lot of people who do this thing where we all I think we're at the phase most mature professionals where we know not to entertain BS. At least, like mm-hmm. I think you and I, right? We like. We ain't gonna entertain nothing. We ain't about to waste our time. No. Black folk get that. The sis has shot any plan. <laughs> but one thing that we sometimes might do, because sometimes we don't want to rock boats, is that we might have the appearance that we're entertaining BS. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so what that looks like is what I call the invisible cosign. You follow the fraud on Facebook. You may not like the fraud, but you follow him. Yeah. Right? You go to an event, they taking pictures, so you take pictures. Mm-hmm. And then you sit there, you end the picture, and then your friends are like, "Oh, I saw you with so and so, y'all cool." It's like, "Well, we don't really bang like that, you know. That's not my cup of tea." They're like, "Why was you in the same room? Why was you at the table?" And so the mere appearance and the affiliation mm-hmm. can still do damage. And I've learned that, like, even being in the same room or in the same like spaces and networks even if i personally don't hang out with that person if that person wants to make it look they can make it look a certain way a picture can make a person look a certain way people you see people do that all the time these all groupies the do that with celebrities mm-hmm. i'm chilling with so-and-so so-and-so mm-hmm. you know we cool we just be that but i would tell the people you know sometimes you could be the picture and sometimes it can sometimes it can be real sometimes mm-hmm. it can be real real <laughs> but a lot of people sit around here and they play like, oh, this person and me in the same party, not knowing you a plus one to somebody else's plus one. Right. You didn't get flewed right. out by them. That person didn't fly you out there. You didn't have that real experience. But again, people are now playing off of affiliations. Mm-hmm. So that situation I told you about this video with this dude, the fact that this dude came to his event and he had that camera, he used that camera footage of being in that building to imply that he gave this dude a hookup. And people believe and no that. Such and, people believed it. and people gave this man money based off of this man's credibility. And so you have to think about how deep that is. That now people are clout chasing in ways that's based off of proximity. It doesn't even have to be a real relationship. Nope. Nope. It's like, oh, this person and me in the same room. This person is at my event. This person's on my panel. So I've learned I asked a million dollar question now. Who all gonna be there? Right. You ask me to make an appearance. You ask me to be on a panel. Mm-hmm. I want to know who's on the panel, and I'm gonna look at who's on that panel. Like, do I really want to affiliate my brand with this? Mm-hmm. Or if a podcast say, "Oh, can you come to my show?" I didn't know who this person is. Is this mm-hmm. person legit? Because these people will turn around and name drop you based off of that, and then you you coming back looking at a certain type of thing. Right. So exactly. I would just tell people. Now, don't not only entertain in 2021, but don't even have the appearance, appearance. Mm-hmm. of entertaining in 2021 mm-hmm. because the consequences are so real. 
But what's been in my bag that's based off of this conversation is I hate vision boards. And somebody really? was asking, I hate vision boards. And I finally came out of the closet today mm-hmm. and said it on Facebook that I hate vision boards. And people were like, it was funny because there was like a moment people were like, yes, <laughs> someone said it that I know because I hate them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and this, uh, of course, there's the what I call the um, vision board evan- evangelists that are like, you don't understand. You got to speak it into existence. Da, 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 ma- manifest. The manifest crew. Now everything's manifest. Listen, listen. I've never played into that. Mm-hmm. I believe that, first of all, I think anytime you're doing all that performative shit, I just think it's for show. I think it's thirst trapping. It, it, to me, it's called gold thirst trapping mm-hmm. because you want somebody to see it and, and, and throw something at you. It's just desperate. People get so thirsty mm-hmm. and basic on social media. I hate it. And I'm looking like, and ain't none of it making you rich. None of it's giving you the gold you want. You didn't get that man you thought you was going to get. Child, that was somebody else's man. That you yeah. trying to <laughs> a lot of people out here doing a lot of stuff, just flexing and frauding. And so my mentality with that whole manifest thing is that, and, and this vision board stuff is, look, what I hate about vision boards is that it's very materialistic. Mm-hmm. It asks you to put up a picture of something that you desire or you want. Okay, sure, Jan. So you want this car. Okay. You want a car. You want this award. You want these things. And you're supposed to just see these things and seeing these things going to make it happen. Maybe I, I'm not saying it's right for the girls. But anywho, mm-hmm. my issue is, is that when do we get past the material to the action? Right. Because I don't think black people specifically lack vision. We always grew up from our grandparents to our parents seeing the things we want for ourselves. I don't mm-hmm. think you could ask anybody if you ask them what they want. We we've been seeing it. Like I could tell you when I was growing up, I saw success. When I was gay, I saw a good looking man. I saw mm-hmm. myself mm-hmm. in the Ivy League school. I've always saw greatness for myself. Right. Right. That vision. Me it's too. always been mm-hmm. there, right? Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that people are not talking about is like, fuck a, a, a damn vision board. Where's the action plan? And so what I've been doing my entire career has been creating an action fucking plan for the things that I really want. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is like, okay, so you want... I don't know. You want to get published at this place. What is your action steps? How are you going to go about that? Map that out. Map right. it out. Mm-hmm. Like map it out. Who are you going to talk to in your network? Where do you need to go? Who are you going to have a conversation with? Who are you going to tell? How are you going to get it popping? A lot of people don't do that. By the time this podcast comes out, my podcast will come out so I cannot speak into existence. Mm-hmm. I was very serious. I for a long time wanted to do a podcast. I never knew when I was going to do it. The podcast is called Earnestly Speaking. It's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud, and Spotify. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I went about this, I had always for a long time had a vision of a podcast. But then I said, okay, when I sat down, I said, okay, the vision is over. What do I want to do? How am I going to execute this? I need money because I don't want to pay for this equipment out of my pocket. Right. <laughs> So my list was, okay, I got to find some money, apply for some grants. Check, one. Two, 
you know, who's going to teach me how to do audio sound recording stuff? My best friend, Jamarcus, who I grew up with, he lives in Philly. He's a musician. Mm-hmm. He knows all about the sound equipment. Right. All right. Then what I'm going to do, distribute it. Okay. I got marketing. Who can make flyers? My fiance knows how to make good graphics. He's going to make the flyers. Mm-hmm. So I articulated how I was going to pull this off. The toughest thing was to get the grant money. Who got grants in Philadelphia? I know people that get grants. Where are the grants during the pandemic? What I got to do to apply? Apply for some grants, got some money, bought the equipment, mm-hmm. called up my friend Jamarcus, set up the studio. Boom. I had to get my ass up and write down the steps. Literally, exactly. I had to write down the steps mm-hmm. of what it was going to be to get this. Mm-hmm. And I got it. Fuck a manifestation. Speak that shit out loud. Plan that shit out loud. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the plan? And if you can't map your plan or an idea of the plan, all this shit on your vision board going to stay there. And people are, are, are not being honest when they talk about the stuff that they want in these vision boards, but don't tell people that it takes work. We are lying to people when we don't tell people what the journey takes or the work it takes. Mm-hmm. And so nowadays, I stop being coy about that. I stop telling, I stop faking or doing, you know, the micro, you know, geniuses like like people I know and, and, and things I aspire. When I think of people like Michael Jackson, the moonwalk, mm-hmm. Michael Jackson makes the moonwalk walk effortless. And a lot of people have made these things look like they're impossible. And, and in many ways, the moonwalk is impossible. But the thing about it, though, is that it took a lot of practice. A lot. He didn't come out the womb moonwalking. He had to really bust them damn hills and get that feet together. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue that has happened is that some people see people do these things and they just think they can just do it. And it's like, I'm not telling you that you can't do it, but I don't want you to think that this is something that you could just quickly do. And because not enough people have been honest and sincere about the journey it takes to get to these things, to get to this mm-hmm, point, mm-hmm. the more people begin to just think it's easily accessible. And I think that's disrespectful. Anybody Definitely. who just gets up and just say, I want to do Michael Jackson's moonwalk because I saw him do it without thinking for five seconds that it's going to take some work, then to me, that just shows you what we have to do as creators, leaders, and artists to remind people that there is a process, there is mm-hmm. a plan that is required, and that all of that is important because if you don't do that part, the dream alone is just going to keep you where you at. Right. And it's not going to be an overnight success either. And that's right. why people, I think, nowadays, they want that instant success. And that's not going to happen. That's not this, viral, happen. this viral superstar crap, right. this, is all, this instant thing. And now it's crazy because people started to try to create this. Mm-hmm. Like the Sierra Challenge. Girl, nobody was going to do the, what What was that, 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 Wop it up, wop it up. What, what was that? I, her songs have got a soul for gettable now. Oh, the um, uh, I forgot what it was. <laughs> the challenge. Uh, yeah, the I know what you're talking about. Do, do. Mm-hmm. Not feel, now I gotta look it up. That's how <laughs> music has become. But she, she got a, you know, she had her own little challenge, and I mean, it didn't really carry the way that the other ones do because it, it's not the same. It was mm-hmm. not. It was not the same. Level up, level up, level up. The level up challenge, right? Yeah. Level up, right? Yeah. The level up challenge, not level up. Mm-hmm. But that's what I'm saying, though. You people are trying to create these instant sensations rather yeah. than letting them naturally happen. It's not going to. And you know, you told you uh, said something about you know you already seeing you know your success and stuff like that. And you know that brings me back to when I moved to New York. Like my dream and ultimate goal was to move to New York, work for a magazine, plan an event for the magazine, living in 
the city doesn't matter where and i never i wouldn't say i never knew i seen it you know what i mean like i envisioned it like it was in my mind at 18 years old that i wanted to do this it no i it was 18 when i want to do that i didn't move to new york until i was 28 but i went on probably 50 interviews with over those years of trying to at least just land one <laughs> you know mm-hmm. traveling from delaware and back and ne- nothing stuck until i got i walked into the building and for some reason i was like this is it i have a feeling like this what would you have i was at work and mother media it was a um oh it's yeah. a media company they do work and mother magazine and they do all these um good events conferences and oh, stuff yeah. like that and so when i got the job it kind of was like overwhelming it kind of was like oh my god i can't believe like my life changed within an instant and then when i moved to new york i was living in harlem living in new york living in harlem working for the magazine planning it and for some reason it didn't like stick it didn't like john you're living your dream the reason why it didn't was because I already saw it. You know what I mean? I already mm. seen myself doing what I was doing. So mm. it kind of wasn't like, you know what I mean? It kind of wasn't like, oh my God, you know what I mean? It was like, well, I already saw that. So, you know, mm-hmm. everything that I have in my mind that I envision, you know, me owning multiple companies, me, you know, putting together a media brand and all this stuff. When I get to the level that I want to get to and someone asks me, did you ever see yourself here? I'm going to tell the truth. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, always, I always said I was going to get published in New York Times. Mm-hmm. Twice. Been published twice. And like within less than a year, I was published in New York Times twice. I was published this year. Um, well, well, I was published in 2020, uh, 2019. And I have a good relationship with one of the editors there and, and she likes mm-hmm. my writing, my work. Mm-hmm. But I always knew that was going to one day happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to meet Oprah. My grandmother always said, you're going to meet Oprah one day. And I said, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. But she knew it was going to happen. And it happened. It was weird because I was in that moment and I was it was surreal and I did it. And I was like, yeah, this was supposed to happen. Right. I got flew out to LA. I was at the Roosevelt Hotel. Mm-hmm. I went to the Four Seasons. Meeting her was as everything I thought it was going to be. It was as lovely as I thought it was going to be. It was as fabulous as I thought it was going to be. And it happened. I had that moment. And I kept telling people, there's only one celebrity on the planet I want to meet. It was Oprah. I didn't care about anybody else. Mm-hmm. I wanted to meet Oprah. That was the one person I wanted to meet. That was the one moment I wanted to have. And the fact that not only I had to meet her, it wasn't like a, oh, I met her at an event kind of thing. It was a, I got flew out by her. Her team right. sent me out to interview her. I did an interview for her for MTV News. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually had a moment. Like, she knows my name. She tweeted to me. Like, it was a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like, this woman knows who I am. Like, she mm-hmm. met me, met me. And if you say to her, you know that Ernest Owens guy who did that, she'll be like, yeah, I remember him. She will remember me. Mm-hmm. And that is everything. That was like one of my favorite career moments. You know, I interviewed Kamala Harris, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, she's an interesting person, but for career-wise, it was a great interview. Um, and 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 I also like spoke to her to go to an Ivy League school. Like, I just knew that was going to happen. I was like, yep, I'm going to go here. Right, and it's just weird. Like mm-hmm. even I did by getting a master's. I was always skeptical about getting a master's. Mm-hmm. I was always like, I mean, listen, I got accepted in my program last August, 
And in the summer of last year, I applied on a limb. Like, let's see if it can happen. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, because everything scared me from it. GREs and, oh yeah, you know, I was like, oh, is my grades going to be good enough to get into a master's program? And I, they waivered my GREs. Mm-hmm. My application fee, I didn't have to pay for. And I got in. Mm. And I never thought that was going to happen. And it was my dream school. It was a school I wanted to go to. It was a program I wanted. Mm-hmm. I really want to go to that school and do that program. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's what, like I said, it's those things you just see. And then you do it and you're just like, it's gone. All right. <laughs> I finished it, you know, at the end of this year. I did not stop. I did fall semester, spring semester, um, summer semester, fall semester. I finished it. Like that, eight mm-hmm. classes. I did eight classes total, four semesters total. Mm-hmm. Knocked it out the ballpark. Mm-hmm. And about about time my degree coming in the mail in a couple of days, mm. weeks. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Life is crazy. Very. <laughs> Very. Yeah. yeah. So that's what. Listen, and we're still going. We still have these goals. We still have these things that we're trying to accomplish, mm-hmm. and we're not going to stop. And I think everyone that's listening has to, you know, think of it like that as well. You know, put them in, put them in your mind, and just keep working and putting the action plans together. That's the most important thing is to put the action plans together. Absolutely. So, but that is that concludes our episode. <laughs> it was. Thanks. Juicy. It was everything yeah. that I envisioned. <laughs> right? <laughs> envisioned and more. So again, I definitely want to thank you. And I think that we are going to continue um this conversation as we move forward, you know, through social media, through email, everything else. And mm-hmm. you're right down the street from me. So definitely when this pandemic gets to some sort of normalcy, we have to have yeah. drinks. <laughs> Yes, we have to definitely stay in contact with one another um, because, you know, listen, we have to stick together, you know what I mean? Especially being black and gay in this Mm -hmm. environment, you know, and being these young professionals that we are, we have to stick together and create, you know, something, you know. I'm just in my bag, bag.